This is the Podium Finish Live from Austin, Texas, and various points across the country. Here's your host, Rob Tiamson. And the good, good day to everyone out there listening to us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or whatever podcast platform you're listening to. This is the Coding Finish Live. I'm your host, Rob Tiongson, and I'm joined alongside, as always, my friend and co-host, Nathan Solomon. We're so happy you could join us for episode 33 of the Fastest Hour of Racing Talk. And certainly, there's a lot to talk about about racing, at least in NASCAR, after last weekend's rather interesting and rather exciting action from Worldwide Technology Raceway at Gateway in Madison, Illinois, where our first photojournalist, Stephen Conley, was covering the action for us. So lots to get to. And of course, the great drama and excitement that we saw from Portland International Raceway in Portland, Oregon, with our photojournalist, Luis Torres, on site. And shout out, of course, to Terrell Covey for covering the action at New England Dragway in Epping, New Hampshire, for the NHRA action. So in other words, TPF was pretty much like RPM tonight in ESPN2. So super, super busy, super fun to say the least. We're going to get to as many things as we can on episode 33, because today's episode, just like any other, is pretty special. We have special guest driver Parker Kligerman joining us today. Of course, Parker is an NBC NASCAR analyst and a motorsports on NBC analyst. And not to mention a part-time competitor in the NASCAR Camping World Truck Series for Henderson Motorsports. And when he gets to, most recently, in the Cup Series, where he drove the number 15 Rickroy Racing Ford Mustang entry this past weekend at Gateway. So Parker is going to be a lot of fun to have here later on today. And of course, he's very much got a lot of perspectives to share a perfect situation, given that our show is always about a lot of perspectives, to say the least. Well, as always, we're going to get to our pleasantries before we kick off everything that is exciting on the show. So why don't we bring in my friend and co-host, Nathan Solomon, who looks like he's ready to get this Wednesday started with all of us. So Nathan, I know we're recording on Monday night, but you know, for all intents and purposes, it's not Wednesday. So a few days away from Sonoma race weekend. How are you doing today? Not doing too bad. I've definitely been getting pretty worn out from work and everything, but always good to, to be on here and talking some racing and everything it's kind of crazy that like not quite the halfway point of the season but i mean it's like sonoma is like the unofficial halfway point of the season just because that's when like you know after that race that's when the broadcast switch switches from fox to nbc so the season's definitely been flying though i mean we got i think it's i think it's the road america weekend that's officially the halfway point but um, but we're, we're, we're kind of getting to that point where it's the unofficial halfway. Like after after Sonoma, it's only ten races till the playoffs and everything. So at least on the Cup side, but um, it's kind of crazy how how fast this season's gone. But it's always good to be here. Absolutely good to have you here as well. And yes, the unofficial halfway point is here, just like meteorological summer being here. I don't know about it in New York, but here in Austin, Texas, we sure could wish the temperatures being about oh. 50 degrees colder than it is right now, but you guys can't feel how hot it is in Austin. You're listening to a podcast about racing cars. So why don't we stick to that and not about weather, of course. If you want to hear about the weather, uh, watch the Weather Channel or go to AccuWeather.com. And hopefully Jim Kosick is still there uh, with his great forecasts on that particular uh, website. But in this show, it's the post-gateway pre-Sonoma uh, podcast for today. So of course, 
most of the topics in Podium Perspectives is going to cover a lot of things that happen at Gateway. And then, of course, we're going to get into our preview about what to look forward to with Sonoma Raceway, which is going to be a little bit different than in years past because we're bringing back the shoot, which for Nathan, that is going to bring some good memories because if I recall, he's a Carl Edwards fan. So the shoot, of course, brought one of the great Carl Edwards victories of 2014. So we could see some really interesting maneuvers once we get to that portion of the track with some dive bombs and all of that. So we'll certainly cover that particular aspect in our putting perspectives. And then of course, like I said, Parker Klergeman is here for his hot seat interview. And it was more like a, a conversation, if you will, amongst friends. So looking forward to sharing that interview with you folks at home or wherever you're listening to us. We're so appreciative of you taking the time to listen to TPF Live. Like I say before every beginning of the show, if you're looking for the latest diecast cars from NASCAR, you know, NASCAR's Lionel Racing offerings or IndyCar with Greenlight Collectibles, who also make those movie, police, TV show, random diecast cars, go to circlebdiecast.com where you can get free shipping on orders of $30 or more on in-stock items or pre-order items by using promo code TPF2022. That's TPF2022. And if you use that promo code on any orders of $30 or more on in-stock items or pre-order items, you will get free shipping and you will be pretty happy because when that day comes that your package is in the mail or in front of your house, wherever you live, you can thank me, Nathan, for making that happen. So Use promo code TPF2022 on circlebdiecast.com and you'll feel like you're a winner or on top of the podium. That's right, top of the podium. That one's for you, Casey. Anyways, folks, now that you've heard how this podcast is going to be rocking and rolling, like we do in the last 32 episodes, why don't we kick things off with Podium Perspectives? Gateway was a really interesting race weekend. I keep saying that word interesting race weekend, and I should probably challenge myself after I listen to these shows to come up with a different adjective. But really, it was interesting because heading into this weekend, I think Nathan and I covered a great deal about how Gateway could be a little bit like Phoenix, a little bit like Martinsville, and a little bit like New Hampshire. But based off of what we saw in Mar Martinsville in April, there was some reasons to be concerned about the action on the track and perhaps a little bit of lackluster action. Well, it turns out that Worldwide Technology Raceway at Gateway is a really world-class facility and certainly delivered on some memorable action on the racetrack. Now, before we get into all the shenanigans involving Ross Chastain and pretty much the entire field, uh, why don't we talk about the great duel between Joey Logano and Kyle Busch these two old friends, two former teammates from Joe Gibbs Racing now, of course, Logano with Team Penske and Kyle Busch still with Joe Gibbs Racing. Those two were just really giving folks at home and at the racetrack something to talk about with their great duel. They raced each other hard, but not too like dirty or aggressive to the point that one of them would slip up and, you know, cost themselves or the other the victory. And I really love the kind of cat and mouse games that were, was going on between these two. And of course, Logano prevailed with his second win of the season. I almost thought it was his first, but can't forget his victory on Mother's Day weekend at Darlington. So now he's pretty much locked himself into the playoffs. But yet we have so many different drivers who only have one win. 
And yet we have a quartet of drivers who are pretty much essentially locked in, barring something ridiculous happening between now and Daytona in August. But first, let's get Nathan's thoughts about this, the, at least the winner of this race, and about those Fords, because as we talked about in the preview and in our group chats, I mean, the Ford contingency looked really strong all weekend. Clint Boyer was pretty much telling all of us, like, hey, Joey Logano is going to be the man to beat. But for a while, he was kind of nowhere to be seen. And what did you think of Logano's Magic Man appearance to get the victory? Yeah, I mean, I thought, you know, Joey Logano was probably the dominant car all weekend. I think this is probably one of the first times maybe all season where the dominant car all weekend won the race. I mean, he was fast as in practice. He was one of the top qualifiers. Um and then obviously, obviously won the race. Um, and really, I mean, it's his second win of the year. It's really his third win of the year. Because remember, he won the L.A. Clash, you know, all the way back in February. And I don't think we're really giving him enough credit because he's quietly kind of had a great season. Like, you know, it, it took him a while to, to, to finally get on the board there with that first point paying victory. I mean, he had a 40 race winless streak there. Um, but he snapped at Darlington. But, you know, now he's won two of the last four races. Like, I know... There's a couple races in there where they were kind of way off. Um, like I think, I think Dover was that they were like way off. Like I think they finished like 28th or something. They just they just missed it. And there's there's a couple other races where they just kind of completely missed it. But otherwise, though, they really put together a nice season. They're six in points right now. Um, they're really not that far back. They're only they're only 40. He's only 40 points back from from Chase Elliott for the points lead. Um, so he's, he's certainly well within the mix right now. He's got, um, got some stage, got stage points, got playoff points. So, um, he's having a really good year. He's kind of, he's really contending right now with Ryan Blaney for the top four. I mean, Ryan Blaney's just been super consistent all year, but Joey Logano, he has, he has those two victories now. So, um, you know, like you mentioned, he is basically locked in the playoffs now because, at least at this point, we, we don't know if one victory will, will do it or not. I mean, we've kind of seen a couple of those first-time winners slow down a little bit. But um, and when you look at the board, though, there's still Ryan Blaney, Martin Truex Jr., Christopher Bell, Eric Almarola, Kevin Harvick, you know, Eric Jones, Austin Dillon, Daniel Suarez, all guys can go out and win races. So um, it, it, at least right now, to feel 100% safe, you're going to have to have two wins. I think we're starting to get a little bit closer to the point where you might only need one win um, to feel safe because we have now 11 races left in the regular season. Um, but well, Joey Logano is kind of, like I said, he's, he's putting together a really good season here, and I'm not sure people are really talking about it enough. Yeah, I feel like Joey Logano's season and in general his performance has been kind of not really regarded just because of the fact that, you know, a lot of the attention has been on Ross Chastain. A lot of it's been with William Byron from the Chevrolet camps. And of course, a lot of folks are now paying attention to the fact that the Toyota teams are looking really strong. But, you know, Logano is really doing a great job with crew chief Paul Wolf. They're clicking on all cylinders and just doing what, enough to what the car is giving them at the moment so that if they can be in position for a victory, like we saw on Sunday, well, they can capitalize on that. And I really liked the hard racing that we saw between Logano and Kyle Busch, where after Kyle Busch got around him on one of those final restarts, Logano didn't seem like a man who was flustered. He didn't let Kyle Busch get away from him. And in fact, you know, he was certainly making some ground up on him by searching for different lines, trying to find a little bit of clean air, if you will, to really catch up with Bush. And it really paid off on one of those other restarts where he was able to get around him 
and secure that second victory of the year, which I think it's going to be really huge when we get to these flatter racetracks later on in the season. Of course, New Hampshire Motor Speedway, a race that you'll be covering later on um, in the second half of these this regular season, of course. We know that Logano is really good at New Hampshire Motor Speedway. You have to be really good at the flat track at Martinsville. And even though Phoenix has gone through so many different changes in terms of its layout and its presentation, it's still considered a flat track, at least when you compare it to like a Kansas or a Charlotte Oval or Texas Oval. So certainly this victory on Sunday afternoon was huge for Joey Logano, knowing that really he's pretty much a shoe in at this point. Let's look at the top 10 very briefly right now. So of course, Joey Logano won with Kyle Busch and Kurt Busch running out the podium finishers. Ryan Blaney overcame a mid-race issue and finished fourth. Eric Almirola, who is retiring after this season from full-time competition, finished fifth. And running out the top 10 were Martin Truex Jr., Eric Jones, Ross Chastain, Christopher Bell, and double duty A.J. Allmendinger, who came off his victory from Portland International Raceway and finished 10th. I know, Nathan, I think episode 31 or 32, you were kind of the first one to point out how Logano would have to cross country, trip it up from Portland to Madison, Illinois, and really focus on that story. And that was a fun way to say the least. We'll get to that, of course, in topic number three. But let's get to topic number two right now, because I know this is probably going to be the big meats and potatoes of TPF Live 33's podium perspectives. Of course, we got to talk about Ross Chastain, the watermelon man, or Ross the boss, if you will. I mean, we know that Ross Chastain races people very hard, tenaciously. He doesn't give an inch on the racetrack. And really, he doesn't hold back. There's no such thing as Ross Chastain racing patiently. I mean, he's not going to crash you all the time, but he's certainly going to race you like you're being raced with him. So in Ross Chastain's case, we'll never know exactly what transpired unless you had a scanner or, or some kind of way to know what's going on at the racetrack, but at least for folks like us at home, there was some kind of thing that brought Ross Chastain and Danny Hamlin together to the point that, you know, Ross Chastain decided, you know what, I've had enough of you, Mr. Hamlin, I'm going to put you in the wall. And sure enough, he did. And Ch- you know, Danny Hamlin's state was pretty much ruined after he made contact with the wall and for the rest of the race, Hamlin pretty much harassed um, Ross Chastain, making sure either he couldn't get around him or he made life difficult when he was trying to pass other lead lap contenders around him. Not to mention Ross Chastain got into Chase Elliott as well, who, you know, of course, in the court of public opinion, you never really want to get into the most popular driver's race car. But, you know, it was an accident in that case. I don't know if anything precipitated that. But, you know, after the race, and as you wrote in your uh, sidebar on TPF, Nathan, I know that Ross Chastain seemed a little bit remorseful about some of the mistakes he made out there, uh, whereas Danny Hamlin told Bob Pockers of Fox NASCAR that pretty much Ross Chastain has another thing coming to him at a time he least expects it. Um, You know, like I said, Chastain, when I preface this topic, he's a hard racer. You know, he's a bit of an old school driver, if you will. He gives it everything he's got, but sometimes it can get the best of him at times. Do you think there's sometimes a fine line between the hard racing that is warranted on the racetrack to maybe trying to pick your battles at the right time? Um, A little bit, for sure. I mean, you know, Ross Chastain kind of reminds me a little bit of someone like Ryan Newman, who, um, you know, Ryan Newman was always kind of infamous for, like, for, for, for always kind of being, like, tortured to pass when 
like like as like a lap down car, like when he's about to go live down or two laps down or whatever. And I don't know, Ross Chastain kind of reminds me of that. But yeah, I mean, he didn't really make very many friends out there yesterday or or on Sunday rather. I mean, I think him and Denny were they're racing there for quite a while, and then Ross said he drove it in a little too deep there, and then bumped Denny out of the way, and then he slid up the track and hit the wall, and and bent the toe link in, which with the, with these new cars, it's pretty easy to do that if you hit the wall. If you hit the wall, just to, to bend those toe links in, and when that's the case, the cars are pretty much undrivable. So um, then they, they have to do repairs, and Denny did repairs, but they finished eleven laps down just because you know they were. They weren't fast enough after that, and you know you mentioned the contact with Ross, Ch- or excuse me, you, you you mentioned the contact with Chase Elliott as well. I mean, shortly after the, the original Denny Hamlin conflict, conflict, and then Ross looked like Ross kind of just tried to pinch um, Austin Dillon and, and and Chase three wide and got into Chase and turned him. So I kind of liked, in a way, I kind of liked the response from Denny Hamlin because he didn't go out. I mean, he tried to wreck him at first, but otherwise, he just tortured Ross the rest of the day. Like the first time, the first time he was around Ross, he tried to wreck him. But afterwards, though, he just tried to torture him. So, um, I think Ross is gonna have more coming to him, but um, he's gonna have, that's something he's gonna have to, to to be aware of, and he's gonna have to learn how to how to navigate all that. But as as a lot of people said on Twitter, though, that's the first time maybe that uh. Chase Elliott and Denny Hamlin, who certainly aren't the best of friends, can uh, bond over over something on trying to uh, torture Ross Chastain. But um, yeah, Ross definitely has some learning to do in that regard and, and trying to find that line. And you know, he he's still, I mean, he he's he's kind of a veteran in a sense because he's been around for for quite a while at this point. But I mean, he doesn't really have that much experience in, you know, in, in, in a good ride like this. So he, he still has a lot to learn. So um, he's he's going to have to pay for it the hard way. Yeah, I mean, we saw we've seen a lot of these great raw drivers having to go and go to the school of hard knocks. I mean, Joey Logano, of course, is the prime example that I can think of recently. As somebody who races someone extremely aggressively. Um, to the point that maybe, you know, it's kind of like if somebody teases you a ton and at the, you know, you kind of let it happen, happen and happen. And then at one point, at some point, rather, you just, you, you, you burst, you can't handle it anymore. And in the case of Ross Chastain racing these drivers so aggressively, I think folks would understand like what happened at Coda. That was for his first win of his entire cup career. And if it was in front of you, of course, you would do anything you'd want to do to win that race. Like he did at Coda, but when it came to racing somebody extremely, def- you know, defensively or aggressively, if you will, in the early stages of the race, I feel like maybe he needed to just kind of pick and choose his battles a little bit. But then, you know, I've covered Ross since 2011 or so, and there's he's never really had any other mode other than to go. Um, he's a nice individual, nice young man, of course, but much like Brad Marchand in, in hockey or, you know, a lot of other athletes who tend to be very rigid on their, on the, uh, on the comp- comp- competitive floor, if you will, you know, Ross doesn't really race with a lot of regrets. Although in his interview yesterday, it was a really rare, but, you know, matured moment, you know, some would say, 
maybe he had his hands forced to kind of apologize to the field, but it takes a very mature individual to kind of own up to everything. I know that like what Danny Hamlin said, it doesn't really replace the fact that his car was wrecked. And a lot of other drivers like Chase Elliott had their days ruined because of, you know, tangling with Ross Chastain. But I think it would have been a lot more, it would have been compounded, of course, if he had said nothing and acted as if everything was honky-dory, which I've never, you know, seen Ross seem a little contrite. I uh, I kind of agree with you, Nathan, that it may take a little bit of hard racing, maybe a lesson on the racetrack. You know, we don't want him to get hurt, of course, but maybe just a little bit of humility with the aggression. But then again, you know, kind of thinking Potter box style and I'm thinking grad school, of course, with this, you kind of have to detach yourself from the situation to fully understand what's going on where, you know, Ross, we know he, for a fact, he goes full out. Danny Hamlin used to be that way. Now he's a little bit more of a calculating uh, patient driver. So it's kind of interesting when you have these young drivers on the racetrack versus the established guard. And like you said, he's not really had a lot of time in cup with competitive race cars. He had to work his way through premium motorsports. Who's no longer in NASCAR. Um, well, I think in a way there are Rick Ware racing is basically the successor to all of that, but you know, Ross has had to really work hard. And I think a lot of that chip on his shoulder approach is endearing. It's a great story, but sometimes it can get, you know, the best of him, but um, a lot of these great drivers that you see today, like Kyle Busch, Joey Logano, Kurt Busch, Kevin Harvick, Martin Truex Jr. to an extent, they all started off as these aggressive, over-the-edge type drivers who eventually learned to harness that aggression with a bit of cunning, if you will. So wouldn't surprise me to see Ross evolve. And who knows? It could happen really soon. It could be because of his own volition or because of the bumper of Denny Hamlin. That The, the thing that's going to be interesting is that we don't know when he's going to exact revenge. So time will tell when we get towards the later half of the season. As I mentioned for this next topic, AJ Allmendinger, what a job he did to go cross country. Of course, first of all, he had to start to the rear of the field in Saturday's Pacific office automation 147 at Portland international raceway. He made a mistake going to the green flag going off course. And they had to go to pit road and get, his car, you know, addressed about what happened. He went a lap down when Ty Gibbs was dominating. Got back on the lead lap with a lucky dog or a lucky pupper. And bit by bit, he came, you know, he made progress, climbed inside the top five because of other people's mistakes, along with his great driving. And he ultimately won the race at Portland, which Luis Torres, I'm hopefully thinking he's drying up at last from it because that was a soggy, soggy ordeal for him. As far as Jay Dinger, he couldn't party too hard because he had to go from Oregon to Illinois for the Gateway race. And just like in the Xfinity race, he had to start last place, but he ended up finishing 10th. Super impressive to say the least because college racing on the cup side of things, and Nathan's noticed this as well, it seems like college racing has really picked it up on, the, on their cup efforts, which is encouraging to say the least. But we also have some other impressive performers and I kind of want to get Nathan's thoughts on this after I kind of briefly run through them. You know, Eric Jones, like I mentioned, he got another top 10 finish. You know, the number 43 Petty GMS team really looks impressive. They look like, you know, they're one of the leading midfield teams in the field. And if you, they can get a lucky break towards the end of a race or if they have a great strategy call that puts them towards the front or in the lead, that could be a team that makes it to the playoffs and shakes up the picture. 
And last but not least, of course, Zane Smith. You know, imagine on Thursday afternoon, he was just thinking, oh, you know, I'm going to get ready to go for another truck race victory. I've got a great, you know, number 38 front row motorsports truck team. Then late on Friday, Thursday, rather, he gets the call to drive the number 17 car um, as Chris Busher had COVID-19, uh, tested positive for COVID-19, rather, which required Smith's service as an emergency driver. Starting deep in the field, he wound up finishing in 17th and ahead of his boss, Brad Keselowski, which that is no easy feat to do in any racetrack. So kudos to Smith. Just like in F1, they had drivers of the day. So Nathan, I'm going to let you choose who you thought of those three was the driver of the day from Gateway. Yeah, I mean, honestly, I I think I'll probably have to go with Zane, with Zane Smith there. I mean, people don't realize how difficult it is to do what he did because the next-gen car is so different from any other car out there. Nonetheless, I mean, you know, it, it's a cup race too. I mean, he has... You know, it's been a couple of years, even since been an Xfinity series, and all of a sudden he makes this, this big jump from, um, from from truck to cup series, really with, you know, really little to no notice there, and he goes in. And I thought, you know, the first half of the race it really looked like he struggled, but but really in that last hundred laps or so, I don't I don't know what they found, but they really found something, and, he, and all of a sudden he kind of just kept kept climbing through the field there, and you know, like like you mentioned, he, he beat the boss man, which is which is very impressive, um. And he he beat some he, he beat some good drivers too. I mean, I know I think I, I, he beat most, if not, or I think he beat mo- most, if not all of the Hendrick guys. I mean, because I know I know Hendrick had a pretty rough day on uh, on Sunday, but um, you know, kudos to him though. I mean, I, like it, again, it, it, it's so different from from driving than than any other car that you know, he's probably ever driven. I mean, especially at gateway too, with all the shifting and everything, it's kind of like a road course. And like, you know, with, with, with five gears, you know, the, uh, the gears are closer together. So they're, they're shifting like twice on the straight. It's like they're up shifting twice, down shifting twice. Um, it's weird. And it's a lot to take in for your first race, your, your first cup race. So um, he, he seemed to do a really good job of, of trying, of, of figuring it out really quickly and just kind of, you know, using that practice session to just kind of knock the rust off and then, you know, not even really focus on the setup so much as just learning how to drive that car. And um, you seem to catch on pretty quickly. And like I said, by that last hundred laps, he, he was really, he was moving along out there. So good for him. I mean, you know, like you mentioned, I mean, all, I think all three of those are pretty impressive. Um, you know, Eric Jones was another pretty good run there. Uh, you know, I think, he he's one of those guys certainly at least right now that, that that's well in contention to point his way into the playoffs if he just develops a little bit more consistency gets a few more of those top 10 runs i mean it's four i think it looks like it's 14th in points right now um overall in driver's points which is pretty good but obviously with, with some winners he's like he's 18th in the in the playoff standing so he's, he's on the outside looking in but, but like i said he's, he's, i think he's only only 22 points here outside of um outside the top 16 so if if there's if there's for some reason if there's not 16 winners this year he certainly will be in the mix to point his way into um into a playoff spot so and then of course last but not least aj Allmendinger, kind of you know going on the west coast and 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 winning a wet race like that after i mean well they weren't very good for a lot of the weekend and for really the whole race too just um in, in the second half of the race he stopped overdriving it and stopped driving off the course like he, he he like drove off the course and like was spinning around before they even went to green so 
he had a he had an eventful day out there in Portland, and um, I don't know. He, I I know they had, a, they had a bunch of issues. They said they made thirty something changes between qualifying in the race. They had to go to the rear, and they're still they're still pretty off on, on Saturday. But he was kind of able to manage chaos there in the second half of the race and drive through the field and and, and pass Mike Snyder, who I I don't I forgot if he'd mentioned him or not yet, but. He had a heck of a run in the Jordan Anderson car, and um, you know I, I know those cautions are certainly helped him in that third stage. But he really led for for most of that final stage, and, and he, he certainly had a car capable of 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 winning that race. So, um, definitely a tremendous result for that Jordan Anderson racing team. But but yeah, for 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 AJ to go out there and and win a win the Xfinity race, a race he probably shouldn't have won, um, and then traveling you know fifteen hundred miles east and you know, going to, to, to Worldwide Technology Raceway, a place that he's never been before, like his first laps on the track were, you know, green flag. And for him to drive it up to 10th, and like I mentioned, it, you know, it kind of raced like a road course in the sense of, of all the shifting and everything. And that, that, that certainly plays to AJ's advantage just with how good of a road racer he is. So um, pretty good combination there for AJ where uh, he was able to kind of just slowly grind along he, he stayed out of trouble all day on sunday and um brought colleague a really good result so like you mentioned colleague is um really the last last month and a half or so two months they've, they've really been um taking some major strides in the right direction like i'm, I'm, I'm kind of trying to remember um you know the, the race where it's kind of like the ultimate turning point but i know justin haley um I, again i forgot which race it was i know he had a second or third in there too so um colleagues really um come on of late and they've been in contention a lot more in the cup side so good for them yeah it's great to see college racing develop into a really great fledging club, uh, cup team of course um because when they the season started off it was pretty rough for both number 16 and 31 teams i mean there was a point where i was like wow they're really having a hard time just hitting it off the gate. Um, it was the third at Darlington, I think, that really turned things around. But I would argue, honestly, I think Richmond turned it around because you got to talk to Justin and it got a little bit of TPF luck, uh, if you will. But honestly, the uh, 31 team has really started to look really strong. I know they had some issues over at Kansas and Charlotte, but you know, look at their finishes. 14th at Gateway, a third at Darlington, 11th at Dover, 12th at Talladega, 14th at the Bristol dirt race. That's, that's some really handy driving. And I know Justin Haley, you know, he's really acclimating well to the cup series. I know he's got the win at Daytona with Spire in 2019, but when you really think about him trying to get more full seat time and just getting exposure to these heavy, you know, these heavier style cars in the cup series, even with the next gen car, I'm really impressed to see my colleague racing has done over these last few months. Um, and I have to agree. I would I would say the driver of the day to me, outside of course Joey Logano has to be Zane Smith getting that 17th, beating the Bossman, and just really going from an Ilmore motor uh, powered car truck rather to this RFK Roush Yates racing engine, which me and you we we obviously haven't driven a Roush Yates car, but we've heard a lot of good stories about how powerful those engines can be. So for him to to really muster off a great finish. I'm sure he's thinking, man, you know, when is my next cup race? I would love to be there because, you know, there's been some talk or some speculation from the last year that he was going to go to cup before things kind of, you know, 
did not materialize. But as some people find out, the right things happen at the right time. And Zane Smith, he is making the most of what he does in the truck series. And he really capitalized on Sunday. So well done to Zane Smith and the number 17 team and hope to see him back. But most of all, we hope Chris Buescher is doing much better, of course, from his um, positive test with COVID-19. COVID-19 sucks. And I can tell you with my family, almost thinking, you know, we had a pretty scary situation last week thinking, you know, what, you know, what if one of us caught it, but thankfully, you know, we're all good. And yeah, just leave it at that for sure. Let's move on to our last podium perspectives topic and talk about Sonoma. Of course, it's one of the most exciting road courses in Nathan's world. Maybe this the third best road course because he lives near one of the most premier road courses in all of America. And let's talk about Watkins Glen. But Sonoma, of course, it's a really great racetrack. It's been a NASCAR staple since 1989. And since 1998, other than in 2019 and 2021, they have used the shoot layout, which is meant to really give these drivers a chance to you know, have more passing opportunities because the carousel made it more technical. It made it a little bit tougher to get around for passes and all of that great situation. But in this case here now with the, sh- the shoot being back, well, it's the kind of race that could be like a short track, if you will. You know, obviously when I think of the rough and tumble races at Sonoma, with the shoot layout, at least talking recently, I'm not going to give a history lesson because Nathan's like, oh, please, dear Lord, do not talk about 1998. I wasn't even around for that race. Um, 2010, of course, that was a hell of a race uh, that Jimmy Johnson won. And unfortunately, Marcos Ambrose is probably still pretty upset about what happened. And, and of course, Jeff Gordon was the Ross Chastain of that race, just getting into everybody everywhere. And while he got a top five, he certainly did not make any friends in 2010. And of course, in 2016, we had one of the most magical moments in all of cup history when Tony Stewart in his final NASCAR season, he made a very get out of my way kind of pass on Danny Hamlin to get his final cup victory, which was, I think now when you think about it is it should be a much more celebrated moment in all of NASCAR history. But right now, let's talk about what we can expect from Sonoma. So, of course, the truck series, it's been a really long time since they've had the truck action at Sonoma. So, um, in this case, I'm going to cheat and look at what happened because I know they last raced there in the 1990s. So, as far as the truck series is concerned, this is their first race since October 11th of 1998. Boris said was the most recent winner in the truck series. So, obviously, that's a little bit of a different situation right there. Last year, of course, Kyle Larson won with by winning all the stages in that race. Pretty crazy to say the least. But this year, of course, we've got the shoot. So when it comes to the shoot layout, the most recent winner was Martin Truex Jr. So this, this racetrack is 1.99 miles, and it promises to be a great ending to the Fox NASCAR Cup Series schedule. So Nathan, now that I've kind of set up things, let's just give the fans at home one favorite and one spoiler starting off the trucks and cup. Yeah. I mean, first of all, this truck series race is loaded on Saturday. There are quite a few cup series drivers in this race. Um, you know, I've no Alex Bowman, Austin, Austin Dillon, Harrison Byrd, Ross Chastain, Kyle Busch. So that's five full-time cup series drivers in this race. And I think all five of them 
certainly will have a shot to win. Alex Bowman was in the mix at Coda. Obviously, Kyle Busch was in the mix at Coda. Um, so I think you know th- those guys will will certainly be uh, a couple of guys to to look out for. Um, I it's hard not to pick Cup guy in you know at a place like Sonoma, especially since these guys are are the experienced guys. I mean, you know, a lot of these a lot of these drivers really, at least for the truck series, has have not really been to Sonoma before. Like I think. Um, you know, a handful of them probably have made starts in, you know, maybe the Arca West series or something, or, or back when it was K and N, um, you know, Todd Bodine, he's racing, um, uh, you know, I'm sure, I, I think he, I'm sure he's made a start there at, at one point or another. He's been around for, oh, uh, yeah. for, 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 for just a few races, but, um, you know, Kyle Bush, he, it's been a while since he's won a truck series race. I think he's on a four or five race winless drought, um, in, in the truck series. He has, he has more uh cup wins and truck wins this year which is kind of surprising to think about but um you know so I'll, I'll go with Kyle Bush kind of as my um as my as my pick for the race i guess if i'm going to pick an underdog um maybe i'll pick i'll go with Jade Buford he's in the number 33 truck this week um you know i i think he can maybe turn some heads he had a pretty good run going there at portland for um in, in the Xfinity series there for big machine racing he's a really good road course racer so making his truck series debut i think he can be really competitive there um on the cop side you know you, you know like you mentioned martin truck senior he's really good at sonoma especially on that layout he's won there um uh, he's won there a couple of times he won there in i think 17 2 I'm not mistaken in his uh, in his championship season, so I'll, I'll go with Martin Truex Jr. Jr. Um, he, he's kind of due for a win, and and Sonoma is a pretty fitting place for him to do it, just with just with how good he is there. And then my underdog pick, I guess, which is not really an underdog pick anymore, because I think he can probably just as much of a contender too as um is Martin Truex Jr. But but AJ Allmendinger, I mean, anytime he go. Um, anytime he goes to a road course in the NASCAR Cup Series, he's going to be competitive. Could have, should have, probably, maybe, would have, I guess, won the Coda race in the Cup Series. Uh, obviously won the Indianapolis race last year for colleagues. So, um, you know, he, he's just so comfortable in all these colleague cars. And, um, you know, showing that he can be competitive in the Cup Series once again. I mean, I think we're seeing some of his best runs. Uh, maybe in his Cup Series career, uh, in, in some of these, in, in these college cars for the last couple of seasons. So um, good on him. Um, and, and like I said, he's going to be in the mix every single road course that uh, um, every every single road course the Cup Series goes through this season. So give me Almondinger as well. Those are two good choices in the Cup race, and certainly a pair of great choices in the Truck Series. Uh, you know, I was just looking it up. I mean, Kyle Busch. You mentioned how it's been a long dry list. Uh, uh, dry spell for him in winning the truck series he last won in kansas of last year so it has been some time to say the least and interestingly enough he has yet to win on a road course in the truck series at least just looking on racing references website so i'm sure he'd like to kind of change that statistic to say the least actually i believe this is his first road course start in the truck series if i'm not mistaken well there you go that's exactly why he hasn't won a truck race in road courses because like the man's a really remarkable driver. There's got to be a reason he hasn't won on a road course besides road course ringers. So actually, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to rip off of you and say, yeah, he'll probably win on uh, Saturday afternoon and hopefully not feel like, I think he said it to a reporter recently, that KBM trucks suck. I hope he doesn't feel that way um, after Saturday afternoon because certainly 
the, the competition is a lot tighter than it used to be in that division. Uh, for a spoiler, that's a tough one. I mean, Jay Buford is some, somebody I had thought about um, in this case. I'm going to just try to say a name that is very popular, somebody who I think a lot of folks really root for. Um, Brad Perez, I think, could be an interesting pick. I don't know if he'll win, but certainly he'll win in the popularity of fans on social media. So Kyle Busch and Brad Perez, why not? As for the cup race, again, I don't want to say Kyle Larson because I'm accused of being a, a Kyle Larson picker on this show and on the website. I'm not. I like to be very uh, impartial when it comes to all things racing and all things motorsports. So let me think more of recent trends, more of a gut instinct, if you will, for the cup race. Now, knowing it's 1.99 miles again, not 2.52 miles in length anymore, which kind of a bummer because I like the uh, longer layout, but say la vie. In terms of the cup race on uh, Sunday afternoon, I'm kind of looking at Chase Elliott as a potential favorite. You know, certainly I think he wants to put Gateway behind him, as does the rest of Hedrick Motorsports, because they looked uncompetitive, if that's a word. If it's not, I made it up for you guys. Um, Elliott needs to have a, a, be a better run. But you know what? I, I, yeah, I'm going to, I'm going to, you know, break my rules here. Kyle Larson's my pick. Um, just because I'm sure they have figured out some speed situations. You know, the next-gen car pretty much precludes having a road course car, a super speedway car. Um, other than Gateway, the number five team has been pretty good. They just had some weird stuff happen, and Kyle Larson has somewhat pushed the envelope a little too much. So maybe with some of that calm Cliff Daniels leadership, Larson can get a second win of the year and lock himself really into the playoffs this time. As far as a dark horse is concerned, I am going to say Daniel Suarez. I know that on every other show I say he's going to win a race, and I think I said he would win Gateway, which I almost looked like a genius, but I changed my mind to pick Ryan Blaney. Daniel Suarez, we're all waiting for this moment for him to win a race, and he's been so close. The weird thing is it's been that racetracks we would not expect him to be very competitive at, but in this case... He's really good at road course racing. We know he's really, really determined to become a cup race winner. And track house racing has shown they have some strength and resolve in the road courses. Like I saw in person at Coda when Ross Chastain won his first cup race. So I'm going to go with a pair of Chevrolets, Larson and Suarez to duke it out for the victory on Sunday. So if you want to watch these races this weekend, of course, the DoorDash 250 can be seen on FS1, and that will be at 7.30 p.m. Eastern time. So you folks, try not to stay up too late. Don't do anything crazy. Just sit at home and watch the DoorDash 250 on Saturday afternoon on FS1. And then the Toyota Safe Mart 350, that will be on at 4 p.m. Eastern this Sunday afternoon on FS1, the last race of the Fox NASCAR Cup Series and Xfinity schedule. Before we wrap up putting perspectives, we all hope for Carson Hosevar to be getting better. Obviously, we're going to respect the nature of his situation of what happened to him, at least after the crash at Gateway. And, you know, until he or Nice Motorsports releases information, I suggest to you racing fans at home, just give him some space. Let him kind of just have some privacy. 
But what we all can do is just hope for the best with him and that we can see him back in a truck sooner than later. So get well, Carson. We hope to see you on the racetrack so we can see more of those crazy hats and hopefully talk about you winning a race one of these days. Because I know Nathan and I have been predicting that you could win a race and it should be pretty fun when you get back on the racetrack. Hope, like you said, sooner than later. So get well, Carson Hosevar. And that is the end of Podium Perspectives for this week. If you fans at home have any suggestions for a topic for a future episode, and who knows, we might need one for next week because there is no cup race weekend on Father's Day weekend, tweet to us at the Podium Finish. Nathan's Twitter handle is nsolly02, and I can be reached at, at Rob T. Ongson. So give us a shout if we pick your question for a Podium Perspectives TPF Live top podcast recording. I will personally send you a diecast car, 164 from circlebdiecast.com. So get to it, folks, on Twitter. Get to us. We'll definitely try to pick your questions. Have a little bit of a mailbox segment here on TPF Live. So we hope you enjoyed Podium Perspectives this week because we're now going to shift gears and get into the hot seat. Well, this week for In the Hot Seat, we have a really interesting guest who knows his racing. And like me and Nathan, he is a bit of a journalist because with NBC's motorsports coverage, whether it's IndyCar, NASCAR, or IMSA, he's one of the most savviest individuals you'll know. And if you like learning new words, Parker Kligerman is probably better than reading the Sadlier Oxford Dictionary because in this interview, he's going to give you some words that might make you feel like you're in grad school with me at St. Bonaventure University. Yes, that's a plugin for wsbu.edu. Anyways, folks, now that I've done that, Parker Kligerman is the subject of our hot seat interview, who, and he just recently came off his first cup race of the season with Rick Real Racing, certainly getting some good feedback for when he does the NASCAR Cup Series races in a couple of weeks' time as of this recording. But most of all, he is still a very competitive, still a very determined driver, who's just waiting for that chance to showcase what he can do if he was presented a full-time opportunity. So a couple of weeks ago, I had the chance to talk to Parker, get his thoughts about what it's like to be working with NBC NASCAR, getting to race with Henderson Motorsports. And at the time, he was actually with a few points within the playoff markers, but because he didn't race all the starts in the truck series, he would not be eligible. But just imagine if Henderson Motorsports had the money and sponsorship and, you know, everything possible to be a full-time team. We could be talking about Parker being a playoff contender, but such as it is, he is a really fascinating, brilliant driver and an even better individual. So without further ado, let's get to the hot seat interview right now with Parker Kligerman here on TPF Live. Well, Parker, thanks for taking the time today to talk to us here at the podium finish. Well, you're on a part-time schedule, first of all, in the NASCAR Camping World Truck Series. You and the number 75 Henderson Motorsports team are doing such a great job. You're 11th in points, despite not racing in all these events. So, I mean, despite this part-time schedule, how elated are you about these great performances and results so far? Yeah, it's been awesome. Um, you know, it's sort of been a building process for us for a couple of years now, since I've gone to 75, in terms of trying to find a way to... Uh, you know, just keep getting better. And Chris Carrier, I keep calling him a, a magician, but he really is, you know, we may only have one full-time employee, but he, 
he does an incredible job and he's surrounded himself with a bunch of really experienced, amazing racers. Um, you know, with Tom Clavette, who was at Penske forever. I was there with uh, Tom at Penske. He's silver, who was at Ganassi, um, you know, Phil tool, um, Pat and, you know, everyone, John Paul, who, who work on this team, just doing such an awesome job. And it's so funny because we had this mentality of like, yeah, we're a small team and, you know, we don't have all the resources as, as the large teams, but for every reason, everyone on this team believes that we can win every weekend we show up. And I think that's a key part to our success is that, you know, mentally as a group, we show up thinking, Hey, we're here to win. And you guys are showing that. I mean, I feel like this run of good luck coincidentally happened after Coda, um, my home track, which I'm sorry we, we missed, you know, meeting up. We were like ships and uh, sailing at a nighttime in this, in that case. But you mentioned in the past those employees, but only one full-time employee, which I think is so impressive that you guys are doing all of this. And I don't know if you guys are considering making a playoff run despite the part-time schedule. Is that something you guys are considering? No, because we're not eligible, um, you know, because we missed, we missed um, two races so far. I know even though points wise, we're in such a good position. So yeah, we, you know, we start off the year top five at Daytona and then just, I think there's not a single race aside from Martinsville that we've been in um, that we couldn't have been top five, you know, Martinsville, we actually had a mechanical issue that happened immediately at lap two uh, that we fought the whole race. We ended up like 16th. I don't even know how we finished that race to be honest. So if, if I can't go into the, what the mechanical issue was, but let's just say it was uh, it was, pretty close as to us not finishing. So that was the only hitch we've had all year. Otherwise, you know, the dirt race, I think we could have won that um, if we could have just went green to the end before that last uh, caution, you know, this past weekend, I think we could have won this having, you know, just a little better luck on the restarts there in terms of the 23, you know, stopping us when we were going to slot into second. And then also, you know, uh, Ross having this transmission issue at the end of the Darlington race. Um, I think we could have obviously won Daytona and Coda. You know, I think we easily could have won Coda and we were perfectly in position. We were actually ahead of the 38 going through turn two on that last restart, but we're running out of fuel. And so he got by me and that's when the Bowman, Friesen and Kyle Busch all moved, like wrecked each other. And he slotted in the lead. And I was like, that should have been us. Like we were right there. So we've been so close. Um, I just, I, I just believe like every week that we show up, we have a chance to win. And uh, I know we're going to rack up multiple wins this year. Well, I have a feeling about that too, that we're not going to just see one instance of planting the flag or capturing the flag in this case, which I know is your trademark uh, celebration, which we haven't seen ironically in five years. So I think you're overdue. Wouldn't you say? Yeah. Unfortunately, I got to, I got to break this streak. It took five years to go from my first win to my second win um, from 2012 to 2017. And I'm, I'm at five years again. So I just hope we only, we can do way more than one this time. Uh, I'm driving at a level right now that I, I don't mind saying is the highest level I've ever driven at. And I don't, you know, I think a lot of that falls in, you know, or the reason being just age, you know, perspective, um, you know, having a, a very uh, different appreciation for the opportunity just to go out there and race, knowing how close, you know, I came to this kind of being all over, a couple years ago. And so I, uh, I just think that I, my confidence is high because, you know, I, my, my perspective is so different and also that we're able, you know, I'm going out there and I'm getting the results and I'm also, you know, doing things behind the scenes that are work. I'm seeing work when I get in the real car. So I just think all that's really cool. And I think I'm in a place 
driving wise in my career where I've, I've started to notice like, you know why those guys who are in their early thirties that go to cup, you know, do really well. Or like why that's like the sweet spot is in their thirties. I just start to see that, you know, age is a big, uh, is a great thing for gaining new, a different perspective or new perspective. And I really think that can lead to high performance. And that's what I'm experiencing. I tend to agree with that, but not just because of the fact that I'm about six years older than you. So you give me hope that this whole talk about youth movement and you've got to be in your early 20s to succeed is not hogwash, but it's not the only way to succeed. Age and maturity still count in our industry. So thank you for that, even though I don't drive race cars. But (laughs) that actually does at least go into my questions, Parker, because I still think you're pretty young, although you're no longer in your 20s, but that's okay. I mean, there comes some wisdom and maturity, as you've mentioned. But, you know, when you think of the industry, of course, with motorsports, of course, being at your age, um, if the opportunity does come, I know you love what you do at NBC, USA and Peacock. If, say, if quality opportunity came your way in any of the top three series, would you jump at it immediately? Yes, right now I would. Because um, I think also, NB, you know, my, my role at NBC um, is, you know, in such a, is in a way where I could definitely, you know, it can be, we could get creative with it. Right. We could do, you know, I, I don't want to ever stop doing the, the TV side of things, no matter what I'm doing in the sport, because whether it's TV or doing a digital show, like I do with in the wall, you know, that sort of thing, or, you know, doing TV with other motorsports like IMSA um, or IndyCar, which I'll be doing next week, or, you know, even, you know, say formula one, whatever it is, I think I could always mix that in, especially during the week. So, you know, I would absolutely jump at the chance to go full time. I think, you know, the last couple of years, the Hendersons and I have debated ways that we could try and make it happen on the 75 truck. We're just, you know, there is a gap there financially that we've got to fill and figure out how to, you know, accomplish that. Um, and I've, of course, been in discussions almost every off season in the last five years uh, at some point with someone who was, you know, maybe it looked like full time was a possibility. And then, of course, it would fall through. Um, but, you know, I just I made a pact of myself probably, I don't know three or four months ago, maybe January this year, where I just want, like, just promised myself to enjoy any chance I could get to get in a race car. And, you know, also through that, I just, as you have success, you're just like, I just want to race more. And so the best way to race more is to race full time. Um, And I just, I even enjoy the bad days. Like I, I just right now love the opportunity to be in a race car and, you know, working on things, whether it's in the car or myself driving wise to go faster. And I just am really enjoying that process right now, no matter what it is. And I hope that, you know, there's an opportunity to drive more um, here in the future. And I know I'm probably, you know, I think 31 is the new 21, as I like to say. Um, (laughs) And I think there's no reason that I couldn't be successful for the next 20 years driving race cars, but I understand the, you know, the, maybe the industry doesn't think exactly the same way. And so I'm probably in a position where something has to happen pretty soon um, or it might never happen. And I would be upset about that, but I'm not, you know, I'm, I'm also part of that pact to myself was just to make the most of whatever opportunity comes. Um, and if it is part-time till the day I die, or if it's just, you know, whatever we do in the 75, whatever, um, you know, I'm just going to enjoy it and try to make the best of it. Yeah, I'd say you're doing the age of the almond in your school of thinking, and it worked out for him. You know, you yeah. a teammate over at NBC. Look at him. He's got that full-time ride at Xfinity. So, I mean, why not, man? You, yeah. you should definitely keep after it. Keep relevant as you're doing right now. 
um, to say the least. Now you talked about these, this next question that I'm going to allude to with the NBC side of the schedule coming up. Now, you know, NASCAR is going to be kicking off over in NBC, Peacock and the affiliated channels next month at Nashville. You know, of course, Fox NASCAR is dominating things. I don't, I'm not trashing them. I'm giving more of a critique that they have somewhat of a more lighter comical approach with things and a lot of up close camera shots. How would you say NBC is gonna to try to contrast with that to kind of appease the intelligent longtime viewers to also bring in the new viewers? You know, I can't really comment on, you know, the other broadcast nor our broadcast because, you know, I don't make those sort of decisions, right? I just do my portion of being a pit reporter and, you know, go about doing my job in that sense. And I think I love, the group that I work with and I work with a lot of, you know, we share a lot of people amongst Fox and NBC uh, on the production side. So I get to work with all those different uh, people. And I think everyone does a great job. And I know, you know, as a sport, I think as a whole, you know, I wouldn't put on any one particular, um, you know, entity. I think as a sport, as a whole, we, you know, we owe it to our fans to always find, you know, new ways to make, to bring new info to the fans to, you know, whatever, whether it's new technology or, you know, explaining uh, things technically or whatever it is, I think as a sport as a whole, we've got, you know, we have a duty amongst everyone, right. That goes to teams, their social media people um, to, you know, media members, to, you know, drivers, to team members. Um, If you're in this industry, you know, you have a, a duty to try and, you know, bring the things that you find exciting, interesting to a broader public and, and a, a larger audience. And so, um, you know, I think for myself, I'm always excited when NBC takes over because I, I don't, although I get very busy, um, it's really fun because, you know, I find myself uh, when I'm busiest, I'm most productive. So, uh, you know, when I, when I'm jumping from a race car to pit reporting to, you know, go to film something and, and that sort of thing. I, uh, I find I'm most productive. So I look forward to that every year. Hey, being busy is good. I can tell you for a fact, just personal experience. I work full time. I go to school full time as a grad student and I manage my outlet, as you know, for the last 14 years, don't ever slow down. Just keep <laughs> going because if the moment you stop is the moment you're not living anymore. So I, I think you've you. got it right. And I'm really excited just because of the fact that um, we have such, so much newness in motorsports. Kind of tracing back to our conversation in the uh, uh, 96 hauler back in 2019, you were talking about the year of great change. And here we are. Mm-hmm. This is the great year of change with NASCAR and F1. And obviously, you know, COVID impacted things, delayed it by a bit. But now we're starting to see this boom in popularity with motorsports as a whole. From your perspective as a driver and analyst, what's your thoughts on motorsports potential growth in this country to newer audiences? I believe, you know, obviously we're seeing that happen right now. Uh, you know, Formula One, without a doubt, is got obviously gaining incredible popularity, uh, is having a moment, which is great for U.S. motorsports. I, I just don't see any negative to a single motorsport uh, having that attention that could, or, you know, in any way that could be possibly negative for other motorsports, right? Like I think, uh, you know, IndyCar is having, is having a great uh, time right now in terms of, you know, young talent in the series, more people watching on TV, so on and so forth. And NASCAR obviously is in the same boat and has a new car, you know, the economics are getting better. Well, hopefully we'll see that continue over the next couple of years as things get worked out there as well. So I think there's a lot of positivity and, and, 
I know a lot of people want to make a competition out of Formula One and NASCAR and IndyCar and that sort of thing. And I think a couple of years ago, you know, uh, NBC really led the way in sort of saying, look, you're not competitors. You are all under the same banner of motorsports. And, you know, it's it's easy. And I understand fans want to, you know, if you're a specific fan of one, it's sort of like your tribe that you're standing up for. Um, but I, I truly you know, implore all the fans out there of all motorsports to give the other ones a chance because I'm a great example of someone who found racing via Formula One back when I was nine years old. I saw it on TV and I subsequently a couple of years later became a NASCAR fan because I realized that, you know, at the time they were only racing like 16 times a year. It wasn't enough racing for me. So then I found NASCAR and I was like, oh, this is interesting. And I was like, wow, this is really cool. And I died in the history and they were racing every week. And before I knew it, my life has become all about motorsports, right? And it doesn't matter whether it's Formula One, NASCAR, IndyCar, IMSA, dirt racing, you name it. I find it that if it has four wheels and it races with a motor, I'm interested, right? And so I think I'm a, you know, I hope others can, will find themselves doing what I did as a young kid. And, and that's, you know, if you're into NASCAR, become a fan of Formula One or IndyCar. If you're into IndyCar, become a fan of NASCAR. And if you're into F1, maybe you become a fan of NASCAR or vice versa. So I think it's possible. I'm living proof, and I hope that can happen. And I think that, you know, will be the catalyst to really unlocking, you know, the potential for motorsports in America where, you know, it can experience a, a overall resurgence as opposed to just one singular thing like we saw. You know, if you look at the history in the ni- early 90s, that was cart PPG IndyCar world series was, you know, the biggest thing you had the F1 world champion and Nigel Mansell coming over there. F1 was worried about cart at the time and how big it was. And they had the Indy 500, which was huge. Obviously they go through a split NASCAR at the time was already rising. They become the largest thing in America. And now you're looking at Formula one sort of butting into those two and saying, Hey, we're here too now. Right. So I think we learned in that era, one, having a split series is the worst thing you can do. Two, fighting against each other makes no sense. So now the F1 is coming in here and having some success. I just think this is a possibility for everyone to come together and say, hey, we saw how that didn't work. Let's all work together to make sure we do this differently this time. Absolutely. Because I agree with what you said on Twitter a while back, that there is no such thing as a NASCAR, IndyCar, or F1 fan. We're all motorsports fans. Yes. And if we all recognize that, We'll make every series successful. It's not about, oh, F1 had higher ratings between the ages of 18 to 49 and NASCAR didn't do this. We've just all got to get that back together. I feel like if we ever have another interview, which I hope we do, we should definitely talk about the split with IndyCar because my goodness, that is a whole topic in itself that I have to talk about. I almost got stung by a bee. That was really fun. <laughs> <laughs> I've got a couple be more careful. questions before. Sure. Yeah, I know. I don't want to get stung during this interview. That would be uh, that'll be a first on this on TPS history. I got a couple more questions before I wrap things up with you. Now, um, I talked about how you've been, you know, searching for that opportunity. You're doing your TV work and all of that. Um, and also, too, one of the things I've noticed with NASCAR, the Cup Series, is this level of aggression lately uh, with last lap incidents and all i know it's not new to nascar i know you've been watching it for a while and covering it but do you kind of find it a little bit silly that you know if a certain driver makes a move we all celebrate it if a certain driver makes a move like Lagana last weekend he's vilified for it i I mean i didn't vilify him i i thought it was completely fair so you know i think there's a precedent that's been set 
since we went to the win and you're in to the playoffs structure that the incentive structure for a race car driver right now is to win at all costs. And so what we see uh, at, you know, is results like what we saw at Coda and what we saw at uh, Darlington. And, you know, I think you then add in a brand new car with a composite body, large brakes, uh, a tremendous arrow wake. And, you know, you as a driver are put in a position where, you know, as I mentioned before, the incentive structure is for you to make moves like that. So, and then, you know, aside from that, the precedent has been set where we seem to, you know, allow it as a sport. There's no, there's no ramifications, right? NASCAR is not going to butt in, which they shouldn't. This could be self-policing. That's not in the, you know, the ethos of stock car racing to have sort of, you know, NASCAR get in there. And I think it's also unique to NASCAR, right? Like this is not something you will see in any other form of motorsport. You will not see a Formula One driver bump another driver out of the way in the five, you know, two laps to go. You won't see that in IndyCar. You might see a little contact there, but you won't see that, you know, that sort of style. Um, and that's what makes NASCAR unique. And I think it's, you know, it's full-bodied race cars able to bump and bang. And, you know, that's something that, is not a detriment for the other ones. It's just, that's what each one has its own unique flavor and style. And I think that's what, you know, all of them should strive to do is to find their unique place in the motorsport world to provide something just a little bit different so that, you know, you're not watching the same thing all the time, but you have everyone under this motorsports banner providing a little difference that, uh, you know, you can, you know, be interesting across a whole Sunday when you have F1 in the morning, you know, IndyCar midday and NASCAR in the evening. So I, uh, I think that that aggression, you know, has also percolated through the lower series. Like we see in trucks and we see in Xfinity um, and sometimes maybe not done to the same level of quality that you see in the cup series. And, you know, the truck series, we can have some incidents and run-ins that I, I often wonder what was being thought, what the thought process was, but uh, you know, I think that's just uh, obviously a different level of, of quality in terms of experience and, you know, that sort of thing. So um I, but I don't have a problem with it. And I think his move, you know, Joey's move at on William was fair. And I think Ross's, you know, was a guy trying to win a race for the first time and entirely fair. And Hey, that's stock car racing. Oh, absolutely. And I didn't want to invite uh, Logano either, just because of the fact that, like you said, this is the playoff era of NASCAR um, where there's a lot more stakes on the line. And also too, Logano hadn't won a race in like, a year and two months. So of course he was hungry for a victory. So if he had the chance to win at Darlington, as you did on Friday night, of course he would be aggressive out there. So yeah. it's a little foolhardy for people to be like, well, I didn't like that. And if, you know, he did that, girl, you know, I don't like it. Um, it's like, it's any driver's got some kind of greasy little history to them. I guess you could say my last question for you, because you talked a little bit about, you know, jumping at the opportunity with getting into NASCAR again. Uh, it's more from the mental health standpoint, because, of course, this is the month of May with Mental Health Awareness Month. Now, of course, you've got a really positive attitude about things. But, of course, I'm sure there's days where it's like, man, why me? Why can't I have this chance? So how do you balance and optimize your mental health so that, you know, you're at your best? And when you have your bad days, that you can decarpentamentalize things and kind of take it in stride. Yeah, I, uh, you know, I haven't been too open about my mental health. And I, I guess I sort of lean on the idea of being, um, as you put it, a very upbeat person, but I, I definitely have my, my moments, my darker moments. And I'd say in the last couple of years, you know, my late twenties is probably the hardest time of my life, you know, 28, 29, um, 
you know, in terms of just, I didn't know where the racing side of things was going, you know, doing the TV thing was great, but you know, I, I think as, uh, I felt young, but also sort of against a wall, right. Of like, I don't know where I'm going with this. I don't know how long I can be in this, you know, that sort of thing. And then it, you ask yourself, okay, well, like, do I like anything else? Do I even know anything else? <laughs> I've gone down this path and you kind of wonder like, Oh, what am I do the rest of my life? So I definitely, um, and I'm not saying, you know, work is everything in mental health, but for me, it's definitely like my, my career and my job has always been my first and foremost, um, you know, prerogative. And I know that's not always the way it's, you know, for some it's family, whatever. And I think family is important, you know, to get through those tougher times. But for me, that's just what I, I strive to do is be successful in the endeavors, you know, on a professional manner that, um, that I go down. And so I, uh, I definitely, you know, was not, not always in the best place, but I would say, like I talked about making that pact to myself a couple months ago and just sort of seeing, you know, being less, I guess, uh, hard on myself. You know, that was one other thing is I was always so like, Hey, you need to figure this out. You need to know it now. You need to be, you need to have a plan. You need to figure, you know, you need to know where this is going. Like all these things where it's like, you can't know that. Right. And you can't know like where you want to go or how it's going to happen or where you're going to go. You know, you, all you can do is follow your, you know, what you gravitate to, what you find that, you know, the feedback you get is positive in the thing you're doing. And, you know, eventually you hope that if you, you wake up every day and you go towards this thing and you try to do one thing or one tiny thing each day, minute, hour, whatever it is to go towards that goal that hopefully someone will give you that opportunity or you'll create that opportunity. Right. Um, and that's sort of where my mind went probably in the last two years to where I've been a lot better place mentally because I talk about, you know, perspective. I, I think my biggest thing perspective wise was to say, Hey, just enjoy this and see where it goes. Right. And that's not always possible. I know some, you know, if you're in a, a situation financially where you've got to have a you know job this moment and you can't find that job or, you know, you're trying to, you know, hit a financial goal. I know that can be tough, but I think, you know, that's where you really lean on one, like, okay, maybe sometimes there's things you do for money, but there's also things you do for you and finding that balance and striking that balance. And hopefully you can meld those two together. And that's when you, you know, they always say, wait, right. When you have, uh, when your passion is the thing you make money at, it's also, you're winning. Um, I think that's where we all strive to be. And so we all, you know, I, there's no climb up the mountain straight up. I definitely, have my moments where I was standing on pit road, pit reporting and, and watching someone I had beat many, many times, or, you know, basically every single time I've been in a car, go win a race. And I'm sitting there going, why am I not in that car? Yes. Like it has absolutely happened to me, but, um, I try to, uh, as I said, you know, I've tried to be in a position mentally and, um, I guess just, you know, in terms of my outlook of saying to myself, Hey, you know, just enjoy, try to have fun with it all. And if it works out great, and if it doesn't, you know, you can probably make the best something else elsewhere or, or, you know, just try to accept that you've done everything you possibly can do. I like that. And that's really great advice for anyone. I mean, just what, how you approach your mental health and anybody who's been trying to break their way into motorsports, because we can love it all we want, but of course there's just so many uncontrollable variables that we have to face. Um, but if you're giving it your best, that's really all you can do versus going, oh, I don't think I can do that. And then you're going to regret it years later. Uh, but yeah. I like your approach because it's really 
a healthy sound mindset to say the least. Did you have anything last things you want to say to the race fans before we wrap up the inter- interview here? Um, I don't think so. I think just, uh, you know, if, if you're interested in more of my stuff, obviously you can find all of my stuff at Pete Kligerman and then, uh, check out the YouTube show we're doing called hashtag in the wall, because, um, I think it's really cool. We're, we're, we're getting better. We got some cool things coming in the next couple of weeks where I'm going to actually do one from Indianapolis, which is gonna be awesome, um, next week. And so I just think, uh, we're trying to, you know, a lot of fans out there were like, we want a U.S. motorsports show. Well, we're trying to do it uh, on YouTube. So give, you know, chime in, use hashtag in the wall, hit me up, send us video rants, whatever. And hopefully you can get on the show and hopefully we continue to build it into something that uh, everyone can enjoy and be proud of. Well, we're almost done doing TPF Live episode 34, which means that we're still about 66 more episodes away or so from getting to episode 100, which I don't even want to think about right now because episode 33, rather, has been really good. I said episode 34, I'm jumping the gun. Episode 34 is next week. This was episode 33. Um, so yeah, I don't know. It's, it's a, it, we're recording this on a Monday night and it's always exciting on Monday nights because you get to hear us running on fumes and like during the in-season part of the uh, podcast when Nathan and I are on, uh, on campus. And it's really after the race where we're still like a bunch of kids on energy drinks or uh, a whatever a game energy drinks that Nathan has been so happy to talk about. But uh, as far as the pipeline's concerned on TP Flag pipeline, I don't know why I said it was a southern accent, maybe because I live in Texas now. As far as what I've got down the pipeline, I have a couple of interviews that I'm going to post, and one of the next hot seat interviews, Harrison Burton. I'm actually going to be talking to him later today. Um, So you'll get to hear from him in next week's episode. But other than that, I'll be helping our team with our coverage from Road America for the IndyCar race. And then, of course, we have Luis and Ethan Smith over at Sonoma for the truck, Arca West, and Cup action. Yes, I did say Arca. Casey, get off my back. I do talk about Arca once in a while. Anyways, that's what I've got down the pipeline. What about you, uh, Nathan? Anything that will get Casey off your backyard? Well, I mean, I'm still working on some uh, um, some, some interview content that I've been sitting on for too long, which, again, with my work schedule, it's difficult to always get through all that. Obviously, I've been um, been, been taking out a bigger load, though, of um, uh, of some race content, race coverage writing, because obviously with with my with my work schedule, uh, weekend writing uh, always does seem to work better for me. So I've been uh, focusing in and getting some uh, some good content out from uh, from all the races from from the top three series. So I'm definitely working on that. Um, you know, as much as I love racing every week, and you know, it will be good to have an off week here. Uh, in a couple weeks, and an off week, which isn't really an off week because the truck series will be in action in Knoxville, but um, an off week from Cup Xfinity, though, which is, which at that point um, will we'll kind of be welcome for all of us to kind of recharge our batteries for the second half of the season, which is uh, set to be very exciting. You know, um, shortly after the off week is, you know, I'm I'm kind of back in, in action at, uh, at Loudon, which is kind of crazy because that's starting to kind of sink up a little bit. Loudon and Pocono there in back-to-back weeks, so... Um, get me to July, get me, get me through July 4th here. So get me through Independence Day here in another month. And then, uh, I can start focusing on, um, on getting ready to go back to the track, which will be fun. So, uh, kind of felt like, you know, after Dover, after, after the, 
after after Dover got rained out, like it kind of felt like ugh, feels like it's been forever until I get mm-hmm. to go to a race again. But we're already like halfway between Dover and Loudon, so it's crazy. Well, time flies when you're having fun on TPF Live, or in my case, I'm just like, ah, yes, it's week four of 14 of my grad school schedule in the summer. So I'm just trying to will it away so we can get to a good break and get to the action for the playoffs because I know we're t- we talk all about playoff hype. It gets a lot more fun when we could talk about playoffs. So I have some ideas that we could talk about for the fans, of course, for that. Um, and also, too, let's not forget the Superstar Racing Experience Series, or SRX. Their season kicks off during the off weekend for Cup because on June 18th, they're over at Five Flags Speedway, which, of course, is down in Pensacola, Florida. So that should be pretty fun. In fact, they have a six-race schedule kicking off. After Five Flags Speedway, they get to race in South Boston or Sobo. That's South Boston, Virginia, not South Boston, Massachusetts. If they race down there, I think there'd be a lot of problems with the traffic over in Boston and I-93. Stafford Motor Speedway, of course, will be the kind of the rubber match race of that schedule. And then they conclude their schedule with Nashville Fairground Speedway, I-55 Raceway, and Sharon Speedway. The last two being dirt track races, and that should be a lot of fun. It's not a NASCAR experiment. It's actual race cars built for dirt track racing so that in itself should be a lot of fun to watch and those races can be caught on cbs and paramount plus and no this show is not endorsed by paramount plus i wish it was so that way we can give away some promo codes to to watch some great action like what brendan Poole was talking about with nickelodeon game shows but we're not gonna get into that because that would mean i'm talking for another hour and i know we got this show <laughs> wrapped up before we get to episode 34 so lots to get to in our next episode of course We'll have Harrison Burton joining us for his hot seat interview. One of the rookie candidates for the season. I am sure he is anxious to talk about what has been going on with the number 21 team. And Nathan and I, we're going to talk about what all that happened at Sonoma. Look ahead to Knoxville and then we'll see what happens because there's a lot to get to. Maybe even F1 talk uh, on the show. And we might have another TPF for joining us for next week's episode. So stay tuned as we say. Many more, many more Wednesdays, many more podcasts. So Nathan, thanks again for joining me again. Get some rest before we get to episode 34. I know you're looking forward to that. For me, it's going to be a new week, a new day, new everything. Everything's going to be great. So I'm going to go into this week and this episode and extra, the next week's episodes with more energy and spunk like I always have. So folks at home, thank you so much for tuning in for TPF Live. This show is going to be wrapping up right now. So for Nathan Solomon and Parker Kluggerman, I am your host, Rob Tionson, saying thanks so much for joining us here for TPF Live on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or whatever podcast platform you're listening to. If you want to catch all the previous episodes, check us out on Spotify or all those other platforms I talked about as well. And folks, until next time, let's all get that checkered flag. And I will see you all next time. So long, everyone. <laughs>